In a moment, Pastor Tyler will come up to continue our time in worship through the preaching of God's word. Before he comes up, I'd like to read the, the section that he'll be preaching from. That's the basis of our text this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Good morning, everyone. Um, this, so since the start of the new year, we've been doing a six-week sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is actually the last week, and so next week we'll be picking up uh, the book of Exodus again. Um, but we've been doing this six-week journey to ask the question of what pleases God. Because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' longest single teaching where he, he sits down on a mountain and talking to hundreds and thousands of people just says, hey, this is what it looks like to follow God. And so we're asking this question, what pleases God? And then we're trying to think about what resolutions can we make to uh, follow these things. Um, but as, as we've been going about this, I think every sermon I've heard preached, we've also been realizing that we really don't stand a chance to fulfill all of these commands. There are so many of them, and some of them are so strict and so tight that there's just no way we can actually follow them. And so hopefully each week what we're also realizing is that even as we strive to follow Jesus, we're getting a bigger picture of who he is and how gracious and kind he is towards us. So this is our last week in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at Matthew 7, 21 to 27, which Dan just read for us. And we're going we're gonna to ask two questions as we look at our text this morning. And those two questions are, how can we do God's will and how can we build our lives on a firm foundation? So how can we do God's will and how can we build our lives on a firm foundation? So let me pray for us as we begin. God, speak to us this morning through your word, convict us of our sins and draw us closer to yourself. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So first, so first, just what does it look like to do God's will? So here's how our passage begins. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus starts by telling the hundreds, thousands of people um, a little bit about what it looks like to do God's will. So in those days, uh, one of the ways that the Roman emperor like, garnered respect from people is he wanted to be treated like a god. 
And so the Roman emperor, he would have people say Kaiser Kurias, which means Caesar is Lord in Greek. And so people would be walking around and they'd be seeing Kaiser Kurias, Caesar is Lord. But one of the things that the Christians ran into pretty early on is they're like, well, I think Jesus is the Lord, not Caesar. And so what do, what do we say? And so Christians all around started saying, Kurie, Kurie, which means Lord, Lord. And that's what we see at the start of the passage right here, Lord, Lord. And there's actually a famous story of um, a guy named Polycarp, who was an apostle. He was a disciple of John. And Polycarp, when he was 86, was actually martyred. He, would, he was killed for his faith because and the, in his very last days, the Romans said, you need to say, you need to say Caesar is Lord, and he refused to say it. He would only say, Lord, Lord. And so because of that, he was killed for his faith. So we have at the start of our passage this morning, these people who are saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord. And the crazy thing about our text is it's those people who Jesus says aren't going to go to heaven. Seems a little confusing. Seems like they've kind of gotten their theology correct. They have the right idea of who God is, that Jesus is the Lord of their life. He's the most important person. They're saying, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is saying, you're actually not going to the kingdom of heaven. And so you might say, well, Tyler, I get it. I get it. It's not, it's not just about what you say you believe. It's about what you do. I mean, this is, what, this is what James says. James says, faith without works is dead. And so all of a sudden we have this question of, okay, so maybe what's more important is what you do, how you show what you believe. It's like, it's like a math class. Like you can't just have the right answer. You've got to show your work along the way. So surely Jesus would be happy and we get to enter the kingdom of heaven if we both say we believe the right things and we actually do them. Like surely that's, double we got it we got it wrong somehow wrong jesus says that these people prophesied in his name they cast out demons in his name and they did mighty works in his name they're doing like super spiritual stuff and yet somehow that wasn't enough to get them into the kingdom of heaven so what's the missing piece then if these people say they know the right stuff they say lord lord we know, we know who Jesus is, and then they're doing the right things. They're doing all these good things. What's the missing piece? How does someone get to be with God? How does someone get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Because I think if, if we've come to church this morning, we have some level of interest in this question of, like, is there more than this? After this, how do, we, how, do, how do we go to the kingdom of heaven? Like, what is it? What's it about? How might we go there? And I think in a lot of ways, we live in a world that's really broken. Um, just in reading the news this past week, all the crazy things that are happening in our world, from a crazy virus to kidnappings in Nigeria, and that's just stuff outside our country, and then in our own country, there's thousands of lead pipes in Flint, Michigan that are still sending poison water places, and I think if we're honest, we look around and we go, this world is pretty broken, pretty messed up. It's not exactly going the way it's supposed to go. 
And so you know when you when you have two pieces of news and you go to your friend and you're like, so do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? It's a funny little question because in both instances, what we want is just for the good news to outweigh the bad news. Like we want the bad news to be like, I spilled a little bit of water on the floor. And we want the good news to be like, you're a, you got a new car. Like, I don't know what, what those things are, but we want the good news to outweigh the bad news, and we're, we're desperately hoping that it's us. But sometimes when the bad news comes along, it definitely outweighs the good news, and all of a sudden it doesn't matter what comes first or what comes second because the bad news outweighs the good news sometimes. And so what I'm trying to say is this world is not as it should be. And the bad news is pretty bad. (laughs) It's broken. It's broken out there. It's broken in our hearts. It's just all messed up. That's the bad news. And, And so in many ways, we come and we hear that bad news first, and then Jesus offers a little picture of what good news might be. Jesus says, well, there's a kingdom of heaven. In that kingdom of heaven, there's going to be no more pain and no more death and no more sickness and no more tears. He's like, the kingdom of heaven, that's what it's going to look like. And we go, well, that sounds great. How do I get in? And so whether you follow Jesus for a long time or you've never followed him before and you're not so sure you want anything to do with him, I think we are both asking a little bit of this question of how how does this life get a little better? And so our question this morning is what's the way in? What's the way into the kingdom of heaven? And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's super nice and all for Jesus to say, you know, just do the will of my father. But that's like the biggest question out there. What's actually the will of God? That's a very confusing question. And if you're like a senior or junior in high school or college, I'm sure you have a lot of people asking you this question. They're like, what are you going to do next? And, and, and if you're not asking it, they're asking it for you. And so we're often asking this question of what's God's will for us? And God's will for us can either be super specific or narrow sometimes, like a God's will question like where should I go to college? Or what should I do after this season of my life? Or Who should I marry or should I take this job? Those are like super precise God's will questions. But then there's also like really broad God's will questions, right? There's there's the question of like just how do I honor and do God's will in my life? And so one of these is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 17. It says, God's will for you is to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And so we can kind of hold both of these in tension. Like God, God wills for us specific things, but also these really broad things of just like praying and honoring him and giving thanks. So there's the really, there's really precise, and then there's the really broad. And so there's a lot of good answers to that. But as we look at our, our specific text this morning, what I want to say is when you're studying scripture and you're trying to understand it, the best thing is to let the immediate text that you're looking at answer your questions that you're asking. So this, this text says, do the will of the Father. And we could look a thousand other places in Scripture and goes, here's what the will of the Father is. Here's what the will of the Father is. 
But what does it say in our text this morning? So if you're still with me, look down at verse 23. And if you read verse 23, it says, And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, to not do the will of the Father is to not know Jesus. I know double negatives are confusing. You're not supposed to use them when you're writing and such. But stay with me for a moment. To not do the will of the Father is to not know Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is that in verse 21, he says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you need to do the will of the Father. And then in verse 23, he says, you didn't know me, so you don't get to go into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, the will of the Father is to know him. That's in the simplest sense, the will of the Father is to know the Son. So do you see what happens? Jesus says, like, do the will of the Father. And a bunch of people are like, okay, I'm going to call you Lord, and I'm going to prophesy, and I'm going to cast out demons, and I'm going to do a bunch of awesome, super spiritual things. And Jesus goes, you missed it. You totally missed it. You thought it was all about this stuff that you were going to do and getting your theological ducks in a row. And Jesus says, you totally missed it. The whole time it was just about me. So in the, in the very simplest sense, and if you only take away one thing this morning, it should be that the will of the Father is just that we would know the Son. That's the whole, that's like all of Christianity. Like there's, no, there's almost nothing else. There's a few other little things you can learn. Like you can go to seminary and learn a few things. But, but at, the, at the core, that's all it is. That, the, that God's will is that we would know the Son. And the great news is that Jesus spends his entire life, and then there's a book written so that we could know him. So how, have, how are we like some of those people, though? How have we gotten this a little mixed up? Like, how are we like some of those people who we're, we're trying to figure out exactly who Jesus is, and we're, and we're figuring out theological things about him, and we know what to say about him, and then how are we also, like, we're doing a bunch of good stuff, and so there's all these ways in which we're, we're like those people, because we're doing all these things, and we know all these things, but we actually miss Jesus sometimes. So, most I'd, I'd contest that most major religions today, they see God on top of a mountain and we're at the bottom of the mountain. And pretty much the whole of their spiritual journey is to climb that mountain. And through good deeds and good things that they do and, and things that they believe, you slowly climb that mountain and you get to God. And when you get to God at the top, God's supposed to say, like, awesome, you did it. Welcome. Come on in. And that's, and that's what salvation looks like. It looks like climbing this mountain all the way to get to God. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying some of you are going to get to the top of that mountain and you're going to have missed Jesus. Some of us are going to get to the top of that mountain and we're going to have missed Jesus and we're going to say, but Lord, I called you Lord and I prophesied and I cast out demons and I did mighty things. And Jesus is going to go, you missed the whole point. Like he came down from the top of the mountain to be with us at the bottom and we just hiked right by him. 
because we thought, I have a great idea of how I want to live my life, and so I'm just going to keep hiking. I'm just going to keep going. And Jesus is going to say, you missed the whole point. The whole point was just me. The whole point was just to be with me. That's what Jesus, one of Jesus' names in Scripture is God with us. His whole purpose of coming to earth was to be with us. So, if the whole point of, ha- of God's will is knowing Jesus, then we should probably define what it means to know Jesus. So, in Genesis 4.1, it says, Adam knew Eve, um, and Eve conceived, and a son named Cain was born. And so we don't have to have a whole birds and the bees discussion to know that what it means to know someone, if the end result is conceiving a child, I think we all, we all know what that means. So why am I bringing up that pretty awkward point? <laughs> here's, here's why. Because scripture ties together knowledge and intimacy. Scripture connects these two things. To know someone is to have deep relationship with them. That's the definition of knowing in Scripture. The same words used all across the board for sex to just getting to know a friend. It's all this word know. And so if, if our goal to do God's will is to know Jesus, we have to ask, what does it look like to have deep, deep intimacy with Jesus? Because John 17:3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Same word, no. No is all over the place in Scripture. And so in John 17:3 it says, Salvation is literally knowing Jesus. And then in Genesis it's talking about sex, and you're like, I'm a little confused, and that's fair. But what's, what Jesus is trying to get at is, Intimate relationship is the whole of salvation. So what it means to be saved is it means to be so intimately tied to Jesus that what's his is ours. Because we don't need to, be recon- we don't need to reconcile ourselves to God because Jesus does that for us. And so when we tie ourselves so tightly to Jesus, when we tie ourselves so tightly to Jesus, we know him and we're saved by him. So in our passage this morning, this is what Jesus is asking all those people listening to him, listening to him preach. This is what they're asking. He's asking, are you just going to walk away and ignore everything that I've said? Or are you just going to walk away and say, wow, I have a whole new list of things to follow? That's often the two things that we choose between. Like we hear what God says we should do, and we either say, A, not really interested, Or B, okay, now I have a really long to-do list, and I'm just going to focus on that to-do list. But what Jesus is saying as he's talking to these people, this is how he closes out the longest list of commands that he gives. How he closes out is just by saying, all it's about is knowing me. That's all it's about is knowing Jesus. So when I was in um, when I was in seventh grade, the the Valentine's Day dance was coming up, and I was starting to get a little a little anxious, a little nervous. I wasn't sure 
what I was going to do, if I was going to go. And so I don't know, those of you who are in seventh grade, if it's like this now, but my, my, my goal was to have my friends ask a girl's friends if she would maybe say yes to me. Because I could never, like, put myself out there, out there. That would be a disaster. So there was a girl in one of my classes who I, was, who I, who I wanted to go to the dance with. And so I had, like, my, my friend Danny go and ask her friend Caitlin. And, and, and Caitlin came back and told Danny. And Danny came to me. And they said, you know, I think she'll say yes if you ask her. And so I, um, so I went up to Grace. Um, yes, like Grace, my wife, Grace. Um, and I asked her to the dance, and, and thankfully she said yes, um, which I was super happy about. And so we went to the dance, and, and like life is good for a couple months. And then that summer, she was headed off to basketball camp, and I don't remember the timing of everything, but she was driving with her dad to basketball camp, and her dad, um, her dad was like, so Grace, like, does Tyler ever call you? And Grace was like, no. And she was like, do you, and he was like, does Tyler, do you guys spend much time together? Like, what do you guys do for fun together? And she was like, we don't really spend that much time together. And, and I, I wasn't there, so I don't know what the rest of the conversation held. But at the end of it, he was like, you should probably just break up with Tyler. And, and so I, it's just like, um, so I don't hold that, I don't hold that against Jerry, Grace's dad, um. I'm, I'm not still upset about it. And obviously, like, it worked out. Like, we, we came around from that. Um, but as <laughs> I was thinking about this, because Jerry was actually pretty right. Like, Grace and I, we never talked. We, like, held hands twice, and that was pretty wild. But we didn't spend much time together. We watched the only scary movie, actually, I've ever watched was with Grace in seventh grade. It was horrifying. Um, I haven't watched a scary movie since. I don't like them. Um, that's totally unrelated to what I'm saying. But so, so, so what Jerry was getting at was like, how healthy is this relationship? Like, what is it, what does it really consist of? Because we, we had this title and we were dating and whatnot, but, but how healthy was the relationship? Like, do we talk together? Do we spend time together? Do we tell other people about each other? And so I didn't, what I what Grace realized and what I eventually realized was that at that point we didn't really know each other. And so what I'd like to ask you to do this morning for a moment is be a little self-reflective. If you say that you know Jesus, what does your relationship with him look like? I'm not I'm not asking like what do you do? What do you do for him? What do you do for the church? What do you do out in the world? I'm just asking, what's your relationship with him like? Like on a one-to-one basis, do you spend time talking to him? Do you spend time trying to listen to him? Do you look forward to, to being with him? What are the moments when you turn to him? Is it kind of like in crisis? Is that when you turn to Jesus? Or is it just, you know, every couple weeks when maybe something pops to mind? Do you, do you tell other people about Jesus? Like if you know someone and you really, really like them, usually you tell people about them. Usually you would want to share about them a little bit. So we do the will of the Father 
we enter into the kingdom of heaven by doing nothing more and nothing less than knowing Jesus. And so think about where you're at with Jesus. How is that relationship going? Because I think for some of us, especially those of us who have been Christians for a while maybe, we sit back and we go, I don't really know. Like I've been doing all this stuff for so long that sometimes I forget that this is a relationship. And what Scripture is trying to say is that's all it is. That you could get rid of all the other stuff and that's all it is. And if you don't know Jesus and you're thinking about maybe following him, I want you to know that too, that that's all it is. Jesus isn't asking you to fulfill like 30,000 commands. He's just asking you to be in a relationship with him. So the closing words on the Sermon on the Mount are this. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So lastly, how do we build our lives on a firm foundation? So we know how do we do God's will? It's just knowing Jesus. But how do we build our lives on a firm foundation? This is probably a familiar story to many of you. So Jesus says those who hear his words and do them, they're going to be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And so the rain falls and the floods come, but the house does not fall because it's been founded on the rock. And so, who is the rock? You guessed it. It's Jesus. You're right. Sunday school answer. The rock's Jesus. So, it's, it's like as the old hymn says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And so, Jesus is the foundation of the wise. That's the first thing we should note in this little portion. Jesus, he's the foundation of the wise. And so as we hear God's word and as we do his will, that's part of what we're doing. We're creating, we're building something on this firm foundation. And so that's contrasted, if you look at it, with a, a, a house on the sand. And so have you ever, have you ever spent like a, a day at the beach? And I should have looked this up because I forget now. But I think the water is the lowest, like in the morning, maybe. I don't know. But at some point, the water's super low, and it's like way, way out there. And then slowly, as time comes, as time goes by, the water comes in and in, and all of a sudden, there's like, it's just all water, and there's there's no sand left. And so this is the idea of what he's getting at: is that the waters are going to rise, and everything that's on the sand is just going to disappear. And so. The picture of the foolish person is someone who builds their house on this spot that the waters are just going to come and wash it all away. And so the, part of what Jesus is getting at here is it's related to the sermon I preached two weeks ago where, where Jesus says, if you store up your treasures on earth, moth and rust are going to destroy them and thieves are going to break in and steal. 
Because whatever you store up here, it's, it's going to pass away. And we know this inherently. Stuff on earth passes away. Stuff on earth always passes away. So any created thing that we build our life on, whether it's our career, our relationships, our money, whatever those things are, there's going to be a point in life when that stuff is gone. For every single person, even the, even the people who have like the grandest houses on the sand, at a certain point in their life, it all passes away. And so notice that Jesus is guaranteeing something with this little illustration. In, in both instances, whether you're on the sand or on the rock, the rains fall, the floods come, and the wind beats against the house. So, unfortunately, that's kind of bad news. <laughs> because what it means is that building your life on Jesus doesn't mean you don't have to deal with any storms. Which is kind of unfortunate, because I think we'd all like to have like a nice, a nice couple sunny days. Um, and I know some of you are at varying stages of the storms, in a sense. Some of you are experiencing like the intense storms of life right now whether that's through sickness or job loss or death or all these like hard things in life, some of us are experiencing those storms right now. And what Jesus guarantees is that we will all experience those storms. But it's worth asking, why doesn't the house on the firm foundation fall? Why doesn't it fall? Not just from a pragmatic stance of in, in, the, in the illustration, I get why it doesn't fall because it's a rock. Like rocks, if they're big enough, they don't really move. So I, I get it there. But I'm asking like for us, if our lives are built on firm foundations, like what does it mean? Why don't we really fall? And here's what I want to say. It's, the text says, the waters rose and the wind blew and beat on that house. And so the Greek here is prosopason, which means to violently beat upon, to like strike. It's this, it's this violent motion of something being attacked and something being hurt and injured and violently hurt. And so that's what happens to the house. And here's what I want to say. What I want to say is that Jesus experiences that for us. Jesus was violently beaten. He was struck. He was, this, this is what it looked like for Jesus to die on the cross, is this word, to be violently attacked and violently beaten. And Jesus fell, right? I mean, that's what happens in the death of Jesus. Jesus falls. And the text even says, and great was the fall of it. What fall could it be talking about other than Jesus dying? That's the great fall. And so the text is offering us two different options. It's saying, you can either take the fall or you can let Jesus take the fall. Those are your two options. Those are your only options. Either this life and the storms of this life are eventually going to beat you down and you're going to fall. Or you're still going to experience those storms. But because Jesus fell, you won't fall. Church, either you're going to fall or you're going to let Jesus take the fall. The storms are coming. Maybe you're in them already. I the storms are here. Like that's the brokenness in this world. And then the option is either you experience the fall 
or you let Jesus experience it for you. And church, I promise you, I promise you, and it's not me promising, it's God's promising, that if you pursue a relationship with Jesus, if you pursue knowing him, you will not be overcome. That's what it says in one of the Psalms. You will not be overcome. A few hundred years ago, some Christians in Germany got together and they, um, they were trying to answer some of the basic questions of the faith. They made these things called catechisms to try and ask these questions of like, what, like, how do we teach our children? How do we teach people who are starting to follow Jesus what, like, the basic answers of Christianity are? And one of the most beautiful ones, I think, is from the Heidelberg Catechism. So this is, like, some of the first Protestants. They asked, what is our only comfort in life and death? And here's their answer. They say, that I am not my own. I belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Because I belong to him, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is the good news, bad news tension. You want the good news first? You want the bad news first? It doesn't matter because with Jesus, the good news outweighs the bad. That's the gospel. Gospel just means good news. And so whatever the bad news is right now, whatever the storms are, whatever the hard stuff is out there or in here, in your families, in your marriages, with your kids, whatever the hard stuff is, that bad news can't outweigh the good news, that Jesus is our only comfort in life and death. So let me close with this. The work of building a house on a firm foundation, that work isn't meant to be like a solo, a solo job. Now, I know nothing about building or fixing houses, absolutely nothing. Um, Tim Reisler came over to help me change a light bulb. Um, I mean, he, he didn't come over for that purpose, but since he was there, he helped. So I'm not going to pretend to know anything about building a house, but here's what Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Church, we are the household of God. Like we're plan A for this town, this area, this country, like Christians together that's Jesus's plan. And so how do we build on a firm foundation? How do we focus on Jesus and what's important to him and let the other things pass away? Because we all know there's a million things that we have that we disagree on, that we can't necessarily get on the same page. But what Jesus is saying and here what Paul is saying is that 
We are the household of God built on the foundation of Jesus. And we are supposed to be being built together to be a place where God's spirit dwells. And so if we're plan A, I want to ask two questions. How, how, can, we, how can we grow together and how can we make space for others? If we're God's presence in this world and we need to be built on a firm foundation, how do we do that together? And then how do we make room for others? Because what we need, what, what knowledge is, if you, knowledge of God, salvation is knowledge of God. If you remember what, what I was just saying, to know Jesus is to be saved. And so if we're God's presence in this world, then people can come to know Jesus by interacting with us. Because elsewhere in Corinthians, it says, we're the temples of the Holy Spirit. So when we as Christians go out into the world, we're bringing God's spirit to bear on other people. And they can meet Jesus by meeting us, which is just like, I don't know, like, just crazy. Like, that's just, I don't know what to do with that. But when people meet us, when people meet us, they can meet Jesus. And how much more of that is true when there's two or three or 180 or however many of us there are here this morning. And so let's be a church that builds our house on important things, on the things that won't pass away. Because if we, if we focus on Jesus and who he is, everything else will pass away. And that's how God's spirit will, will be in this place. And so... I want you to think about what role you individually can have to build this house. And let me say, it's not about a physical building or something. Like, we don't actually need a bigger house. Um, it's about a group of people who decide to follow Jesus to use their gifts and talents and resources for him and his kingdom. And it's about a household that's basing their life on him and aren't turning back. That's what this is about. Because that group can really change things. And so, to know Jesus is to know salvation. To know Jesus is the best news there can possibly be. But we don't build, we don't build a big house for ourselves. Like that's silly and lonely, very lonely. We build a house for others to be in it. And so our question as we leave is, we want to do God's will of knowing Jesus. And we want to build our house on a firm foundation, and that is Jesus. But how do we do that together? That's what I want to challenge us with to close, is how do we do that together? Because we can do that all off on our own. But what Ephesians is getting at is that doing that together is more powerful. And at the end of our lives, at the end of our lives, we will run into this situation that Jesus has with these people who will go in front of Jesus at the end of our lives. And I don't know what we'll say, but I hope, and it's my prayer, that for each one of us, what he'll say to us is, I know them. I know them. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. 
Thank you that you sent your son to die so that we would be able to know you. Thank you that you sent your son to die so that we would be able to know you. God, I pray that each one of us would be pushed this morning to want to know you more. That we would want to do that with our time, with our energy. That that would become a relationship with you would become a focus of who, of who we are and what we're trying to do with our lives. God, we don't want to build... We don't want to build a big house that's just going to pass away. God, we want to build something that will last. We want to build our relationship with you. So God, be with us as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today and every day after. Go in peace.